This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. We are getting ever nearer to what for some of you will be the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ once again at the end of the day, whether you celebrate the birth of, of Christ on the 25th, I hope it is something that you celebrate at some point in your year as far as that you pause and think about the fact that Jesus Christ came to live among us. And whether you want to formalize that into, quote unquote, a holiday or not is immaterial to me. The fact is that there was a historical Jesus that was born into time and space he had a birthday and if you want that to be december 25th more power to you if you want that to be february 7th i'm okay with that too hey who knows maybe he was born on february 29th if you want to celebrate it every day yes and hold the spirit of christ in you every day yeah we would wholly be behind you yes we would so Regardless of all of that, we are saying Jesus Christ is worthy of our time and our attention. And we have been trying to use a lens, his names and titles, to help us with that. And today, we are putting together what seem to be contradictory titles. So, today we're talking about Jesus as the lion and the lamb. Why are we putting these together in one show? Well, they, because they're put together in scripture, first of all. <laughs> in Revelation chapter 5, uh, John is there. There's a, there's a scroll that's to be opened, uh, but no one's there to open it. Uh, and so he begins to weep because he, he wants to see and this, this glorious, beautiful uh, information and knowledge that's contained within the scroll. So he says he, he opens, uh, he weeps openly in verse 4. And then in verse 5, uh, then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse 6, Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb, standing in the midst of the throne, and the four living creatures, and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. So much going on here, I'm just going to open it up and say... What's going on here? Talk, talk, talk to the listener through all of this terminology, all of these titles, all of these names that he's throwing at the reader. Well, the Lion of Judah uh, comes from that time period when, as the promise has been given throughout the Old Testament, Genesis 49 uh, Joseph is called together as his sons, and he begins to uh, speak over them. And it, it, as he's giving his final blessing, he compared his son Judah with a lion, and he foresees this perpetual royal dynasty coming from Judah's line. And uh, and in that 
in that line of Judah is also David. You know, we when we get to you know one of the familiar passages that we have uh, from that are oftentimes read during the the Christmas time is the is the announcement of the birth of Christ from Micah five two. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. And uh, this one that was coming was coming from this line of Judah, which was promised in in Genesis 49, uh, you know, in that proclamation uh, to to Judah the son, and he was he was compared there to a lion's whelp, you know, a, a lion's cub, and also uh, the fierceness of the lion. So this this is kind of the backstory to the idea of the lion of Judah. When we think about the lamb, uh, lambs were typical of the sacrificial animals of the Old Testament, and they were sacrifice uh, part of was the sacrifice for sin. Uh, and that's what lambs were. So when uh, John says Jesus is the lion of Judah, he tells us that he conquered. When he says that he is the lamb who was slain, he's telling us how he was con- conquered, and or excuse me, how he conquered. So we have this unique duality there. Jesus is a lion. He's royal, dignified, ruling, and powerful. But he's also the lamb who's quiet, submissive, and humble, and slain. Someone said, uh, you know, when we're reading this in in Revelation from from John, it says it is almost as as if John were saying to us at one point after another, wherever the Old Testament says lion, read lamb. Wherever the Old Testament speaks of the victory of the Messiah or the overthrow of the enemies of God, we're to remember that the gospel recognizes no other way of achieving these ends other than the cross the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. And it's interesting as you work your way through the gospel narratives, um, you see this real struggle of the people of Jesus's time period to try to reconcile the promises of the Old Testament specifically with regard to this idea of him coming as a lion, as him coming as the, the greater son of David as a king, with the work that Jesus came to accomplish. And for them, it was a constant disconnect. Like, wait, this doesn't work with how we see the prophecy of the Old Testament. And I think maybe a helpful thing that was missed was that Jesus as the Lamb is really connected to some of the the servant songs of of Isaiah. Mm. And... I don't know why, but it it seems as if those weren't picked up as being messianic by the first century Jewish people, um, because that was wholly off their radar. Um, that Jesus would have to come as this as the or the, the Messiah would have to come also as a suffering servant. Well, it's it's so much easier, and in one sense, it was more desirable for them to think of him as as just conquering for them. They didn't, as as this is pointing out, they don't realize how he was going to conquer for them, how he's going to actually deliver them, you know, how he's going to take them out of that kingdom of darkness into a, a a kingdom that can't be shaken. 
And, um, you know, this is what makes the doxology that we read in uh, Revelation chapter 5 so so glorious, because the people who are now uh, in heaven surrounding the throne, uh, myriads uh, uh, numbering thousands on thousands, and you have the longest doxology stated here in the book of Revelation, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them were saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. You know, so the, the, this whole, the, the, it, it's all coming to a culmination here. Uh, when we talk about the lion and the lamb together. I think it's natural uh, for us, and I think this was the expectation of almost, uh, well, the the conquering of earthly kingdoms (coughs) and almost a a bravado, uh, just, you know, a a powerful warrior just coming in and laying everything waste and setting up his earthly kingdom. But what God teaches us, I think, throughout Scripture is a common theme, is his, the way he works is, his exaltation of the humble and the the victory that he provides is at his own hand and the ones through whom he does it are usually in in some form of like humble state and the ultimate example of that is our lord jesus christ i mean he is god in the flesh he could easily wipe out everyone if he if he chose to but it's he came to serve, not to be served. And he came as a humble servant to, in humility, lay down his life. And then through that life of obedience, he was then exalted and given the name that is above every name. Are we still tempted to behave like the first century Jews mm-hmm. um, in that we want the Christ that's this conquering king and not a lamb and how does that play out in some of the the landscape of Christianity today and some of the misplaced expectations that, that might, we might see around us? Well, I think, I mean, it, in a certain sense, I mean, it, it could appear through kind of politically motivated ways of changing the culture. We latch on to the great glorious victory and in, in, in those things and seek to use that and twist that in a way to where we're trying to bring this culture now into that type of subjection, which I think ultimately, I mean, God, he's still the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And he still predominantly works through the humility of his servants rather than being brash and bold and declaring things you know, in the, in the public sphere. And, uh, I mean, he can work that way, but you know, I think that's one way that we might do that. Yeah. I I think what we want, the, we want the power and authority of Christ to come down and and conquer those who oppose us because they've frustrated our will or our wants or our desires. I think we're, we're, we're subjecting Christ to become a means to our own will Mm -hmm. rather than saying, you know, Christ come and conquer those who oppose you. You know, I'm offended, so Jesus, do something about it, rather than, God, th- this offends you, so uh, have your way, right? Execute yeah. your justice on behalf of your name, not my name's sake. I yeah, think that's a that's a way we misuse or, or clamor for the authority of Christ for our own. I think of the sons of thunder 
uh, in the gospels, right? Wanting to sit yeah. at the right hand of Christ because they wanted to share in the power. And I think when we, when we twist that up, that's a way we, 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 we mistaken the, the lion for, for the lamb. This may um, upset some people, but Jesus oh, is. Oh, boy. Buckle up. Buckle Here we up. go. Here comes Ryan. Jesus is not a Democrat. Oh, and here Jesus we go. is not Republican, and Jesus is not Libertarian. So he is serving his own will. It's interesting that I, th- I think sometimes we see this mentality in the the strong desire what we might have of wanting the, the celebrity Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that that's how God is going to work yeah. by bringing this you know big name person to himself and he, he can I'm, I'm, I'm not limiting god's work but i think at some point we we then want the lion of judah effect mm-hmm. where we forget paul's writings in second corinthians 12 for the sake of christ then i'm content with weaknesses insults hardships persecutions and calamities for when i am weak i'm strong and the work of christ was in weakness the work of Christ was in the slain lamb, and he's still working a power. I mean, if you think about this, as the slain lamb, he conquered sin and death and hell, conquering the greatest enemies of mankind. Um, but he did it in a way that we would not have anticipated. And I think he builds and and does his work here, oftentimes through that same type of weakness. The greatest celebrity platform <clears throat> shrinks and fades in light of Christ's platform. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need it. But we tend to want it. Right. Lord. Yep. And mm-hmm. and what we want to say is Lord, if if it's through my weakness that you make your power known, it's okay. I will follow the example of my slain savior and follow a path of of weakness and humility, which I think is what Philippians 2 is is really calling us to. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We'll see you next time.